and Merry Christmas Eve. It's wonderful to be together. And uh, Kalia Hunt is going to read from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. If you have your Bibles, you can open. If not, the words will appear on the screen. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Kalia. Christmas Eve. I don't know how you feel about it, but when you think about it, it's associated with many memories, feelings, if you've watched any Hallmark movies, there are lots of interpretations about Christmas's meaning. My wife and I were watching a, a movie recently, and, and I, at the, 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 the protagonist was there. She was giving a presentation to the office, this very successful woman, and she tells the meaning of Christmas. And I wish I had recorded it, and I could say it to you tonight, but when she was done, her friend said, you nailed it. And it was just, just it, was, it was nonsense. It was, I mean, it was, it, was, it was Hallmark. But it reminded me of a time 45 years ago. It was 45 years ago tonight. I was walking across the street from my apartment building in the Bronx. Manhattan College was there. It was a Catholic college, and we were going to midnight mass, and the snowflakes were falling. We get in there, and the incense was in the, in the chapel, and it was, the, it was just all the music of Christmas. And then we came home that evening, and it just felt magical. But when I got home, I had no idea whatsoever about the real meaning of Christmas. In our text this morning, God's Word, Luke describes the real meaning of Christmas. And he doesn't want any of us to be confused about it tonight. He wants us all to understand what is the true meaning of Christmas. And I want to invite you this evening, you know, you've probably heard these scriptures many times, you've listen to them, to slow down and listen again. Open your ears to hear the Word of God and consider the details of the story here in chapter 2 and its implications for you. It was one year later, 44 years ago, when someone sat down and explained to me who Jesus was and why he came, and it totally transformed my understanding of Christmas. I hope as we look at three simple points through God's story of God's saving work, a humble beginning, very good news, and the highest praise, it will become 
just fresh to all of us. So we begin with a humble beginning. How was Jesus born? Here in the text, we're introduced to Caesar Augustus. Who was this guy? Well, his name actually was um, Gaius Octavius. He was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar, adopted as his son. And he's the guy who beat Mark Antony and Actium at 27 AD, BC. And when he defeated him, he was named the first emperor of the Roman Empire. First emperor. And they, the Senate called him Augustus, which means majestic. He was the most unquestionably the most powerful man in the world. And, and we also meet Quirinius, uh, a governor here. And it's almost like Luke is saying, this is history. Pay attention. This is history. I want you to know. What happened here really, really happened. And, and note the detail, Augustus has decreed that all the world should be registered. He's taking a census. Why? You know why? So he can make sure he gets all the glory he can get. He can squeeze as much tax revenue out of the people as he can so he can build palaces to his glory. And you see all this, this glorious ruler ruling all over all the world. And you see the contrast here in verses 1 through 7. This great chasm between the emperor who reigning over the Roman Empire like no other emperor and this baby born to a humble man and a humble woman from a nothing town, Nazareth. They go to a nothing town, Bethlehem. It's unknown exactly the place of Jesus' birth. Some people say it was a cave. Some people say it was a stable. Some people say it was the ground floor of a relative's home. But regardless of the place, what is notable is when the child leaves Mary's womb and he enters the world, he doesn't enter into a palace. He doesn't even enter into a sterile nursery. He's placed in the feeding place of animals. What a humble beginning. Indeed, what a contrast between the emperor and the king. And as we, we stop at verse 7, it's a bit of a painful picture. Uh, Caesar's ruling over his empire. He thinks he's ordering and increasing his wealth, but he's actually making sure that the savior of the world is born in Bethlehem. It's quite interesting, isn't it? You know, and, and which leads us to our second point here. Incredibly good news. Another way to say this is who is this child? Who is he? And the angels want us to be sure we understand. There were shepherds in the field, and they're, they're just out there hanging out, and all of a sudden this angel appears, and the glory of the Lord appears around them. This glory is, is often associated with the presence of God doing amazing things in history. And he says to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, if we're really going to understand the meaning of Christmas... We have to get our heads around what the angels have just declared. What is this incredibly good news? First of all, the word good news is a, a, it's a term that was associated in the Roman Empire with the announcement of the birth of a king, king's firstborn son, or the ascension of the king to the throne. It was used to declare news to people, and it would normally be accompanied by great public celebrations. It would be heralded in the streets to people everywhere, and particularly to people of significance. This announcement's a little bit different, isn't it? It comes to, instead of a palace, shepherds in a field. 
And it's important to know that shepherds in this time in Israel, they're not thought of as the elite of society. They're the downcast. They were considered unclean because of the nature of the work they did. Their testimony could not even be received in court because they were considered so untrustworthy. From the lowly manger, the announcement comes to these shepherd out in their fields, watching over their, shock, watching over their flock. And let's, let's look closely at what the angel said to them. First, he says, this child is a savior who is Christ the Lord. He is a savior who is Christ the Lord. This, if this term savior, if you're, if you're from the United States, if you've been growing up here, you probably are familiar with this term savior and, and you've seen it used to Jesus. He's often called the savior, the savior of humankind, saved people from their sins. But what did the shepherds think when they heard this term? They probably heard, thought of, it was something along the lines of what I thought when I was at church, when I was 18 years old and I was hearing this, something like saving. What do, they need, what do I need saving from? I'm a pretty good guy. I do what I can do. What is the savior stuff? So the angel goes on, he says, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ is not Jesus's last name. It's a Greek term meaning the anointed one. It's similar to the Hebrew term, the Messiah. And in, in Jewish culture, prophets, priests, and kings would be anointed for certain tasks. They would be anointed, and they would be anointed for tasks. So there were many, many anointed ones. But in the Old Testament scriptures, there was a, a, an anticipation of one who would come. There were many prophets that told of one who would come. The prophet Micah told of one who would come to Bethlehem, who would be of ancient days. He would shepherd God's people. And what the angel is saying when he says, a savior who is Christ the Lord, this is incredibly good news because he is saying that this child born this night in the manger is not just an anointed one, but he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He's the long-awaited one, the one who would sit on David's throne forever. He would bring peace to all humanity, and he would bring God's word to all of creation. But the angel doesn't stop there. He wants us to be crystal clear about who this child is. He's not just the Savior, he's not just the Christ, but he is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, this term here has been used by Luke over, this is chapter two, right? It was chapter two, verse one, where we started. In chapter one, Luke used this term, Lord, over 20 times. 19 of them refer to God the Father. One time. When Elizabeth speaks of the child in Mary's womb, she calls him his Lord. The only time it refers to anyone different. The third title the angel gives to the Lord is only used in the Hebrew translation of the Old Testament to refer to Yahweh, to God himself. So what has been implied by the angel Gabriel to Mary when she came to him to tell her she was gonna bear Jesus, what is implied by Mary, Elizabeth's words to Mary when she comes to visit her, the angel makes perfectly clear why what makes this announcement such incredible news is this this child born in these humble circumstances is not only the savior he's not only the messiah but he is god himself come to earth he is christ the lord 
He's come to do God's saving work. Now, I just want to just stop for a second and take a deep breath. Let, this, let our minds get wrapped around this idea. How can a baby be God himself? How is it possible? How can this Jesus, who would be a, a, t- a child, a teenager, an adult, how can he be God himself? And this mystery is not just taught here, but it's taught throughout the gospel. It's what Jesus claims of himself. It's taught in the book of Acts. It's taught in the rest of the New Testament. Even as Isaiah taught it 700 years ago, he said, this child is Emmanuel, God with us. This is incredibly good news, friends, because on this day in Bethlehem, God has entered our world to begin the fulfillment of his promise to bring salvation to the world. That's what, who this child is, is. And even as Isaiah prophesied 700, year, er, 700 years earlier, he is Emmanuel, God with us. So God does not want us to miss this this evening. He is the Savior, he is the Messiah, and he is the Lord. And what happens in response to this good news, this in, this child born in humble circumstances, this incredibly good news. Well, look with me at verse 13. If you have your Bibles, you can look on the screen. This leads to our final point, the highest praise. You know what a jump scene is in a movie? My friend Vince loves jump scenes. It's when it's really quiet and people are walking and it's like quiet and it's this suspenseful and then the bass is turned up real loud and it's really clear and the volume's up and then it's all of a sudden it's like, boom! And, and, and it's supposed to make you jump out of your seat. Well, this is the biggest jump scene in Scripture. Remember, they were scared with one angel, right? And what happens? Suddenly, the heavens are filled with the heavenly host declaring the praise of God. What a jump scene, huh? You know what the heavenly host are? The heavenly hosts are the heavenly armies of God. And armies are often associated with war and devastation. But this army is not come to wreak havoc. It's come to declare praise. Glory to God in the highest. C.S. Lewis writes of this night in Bethlehem as the turning, he writes a poem called The Turning Tide. And in it, he says, history has turned a corner this night in Bethlehem. It has turned a corner from brokenness and sin hopelessness to hope and redemption and God's work on the planet because God has brought his kingdom to the earth in a new way through his son. God's eternal plan of salvation has entered time and space on this planet. And the salvation that this humble child would would accomplish has not yet occurred, but it has been initiated He has been born, and and as he would explain when he begins his public ministry, he would say, the kingdom of God has come to the earth now because I'm here. And he would declare why he's here, and he would demonstrate who he is through his great acts, and then he would die on a cross for the sins of sinful men and women like you and me. Paul would later write about this, declaring what Jesus did. He said, God was pleased through Christ, through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven and earth, 
making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus enters the world to bring peace by the blood of his cross. Glory to God in the highest. That's what the angels are singing about. God's plan of redemption is underway. You know, and 45 years ago, I, I had some vague notion of Jesus being here to save, but I just really didn't understand how that applied to me. I did not understand that I needed to personalize and say, he died for me, for my sins. You know, this evening, God invites each of us to remember that we, we are all invited to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Messiah, as our Lord, and like the angels, offer him praise. That's what we're called to do, and he invites us to do that. And when we do that, he makes his home with us. His Holy Spirit begins to dwell in us. That's the greatest gift that God can give us is his Holy Spirit to make us new and to have fellowship with God the Father. And, and if you're here this evening and you know all this stuff, I just wanna, I wanna say, let's slow down, Redeeming Grace Church. Let's just think about this for a second. As we open those presents tomorrow morning, let's think about the greatest gift that humanity has ever received. Every gift we open is nothing compared to what God the Father has done for us, the love that he's shown us. How great is the Father's love for us that he calls us sons and daughters of God, friends. As we prepare to close our time together with singing and go out and share time with our families, let's stop for a moment this Christmas Eve and say, is there any part of our lives that are not submitted to the reality of what we're reading about. You know, it's a great time for us to stop and say, if this is true, it means God is amazing and I owe him everything. And we've got the new year coming. So let's offer ourselves a fresh way this evening, Christmas Eve. God, we're all yours. And if you're here this evening, and maybe you were like I was 45 years ago, and you're just not clear on all the things that we're talking about here. You're listening to the story and the stuff about sin and a savior. Why did he have to go on the cross? That doesn't really make sense to you. We have a wonderful class here. It's not really a class. It's a dinner study, if you will. It's called Christianity Explored, starting on Wednesday, January 11th, for seven consecutive Wednesdays, right just across the hall here. We have dinner together. 6.45, we do a brief Bible study, we watch a brief video, we have a discussion where questions are welcome. And in seven weeks, we get through the Gospel of Mark. That's the shortest Gospel in the New Testament. And if you don't know who Jesus is, like I was 45 years ago, you can in seven weeks have read the Gospel of Mark and you will understand who, he is, who Jesus is through his own words. And you'll understand why he had to go to that cross and you'll understand what he's calling you to do, and you can decide for yourself. I had never read the Bible when I went to that service 45 years ago, never. I'm just inviting you, if you haven't, please consider joining us at Christianity Explored. And now as we prepare to go back to our families, as we reflect on this incredibly good news, I'd like to invite the band to join me on stage. 
And as we close, let's allow this incredibly good news. God has come to earth. Why? Remember this. Because of his great love for us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have life eternal. God loves us that much.